Welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you'll hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Victoria Cates, the designer behind the whimsical brand Potion 23. So welcome to the show, Victoria. Hi, thank you. Well, um, I really am so happy to be here. Thanks for coming today. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I have a, a collection, a brand called Potion 23. Um, I launched my brand um, in uh, July of 2019. Um, and it is essentially the baby of me having uh, worked at a vintage store for a long time and um, just being an artist and pretty much all of my like creative uh, outlets coming into one fashion line. It's uh, very heavy on the 1930s and 40s silhouettes. And I, yeah, it's pretty much a a self-portrait of who I am. And as for me, I am originally born and raised in the New York uh, City area, but I have been in St. Louis for about five years now, so I consider it my home. Nice. Cool. So you mentioned kind of the uh, different like artistic passions coming together in this brand. Have you always known that you wanted to work in fashion or like what were those passions that kind of brought you to this industry and to where you are? So it's been kind of a lifelong journey because um, I pretty much knew as as soon as I was able to walk and talk that I wanted to be an artist of some kind. Um, and it's always been kind of a flip flip-flop between two passions. I've I went to school for visual arts initially. I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, but I've always loved clothes. I've always loved dressing up and collecting vintage. I've been collecting vintage since I was like 12 years old. So it's always been kind of like, a, well, do I want to be a starving artist or a starving designer? <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both very tough. Um, but I made the choice um, after just a, a number of work, different experiences within the fashion industry as an adult working either in, um, I worked for a luxury accessories brand where I did all like hand embroidery with like Swarovski crystals and I got really into embroidery. And then I kind of wanted to revisit my roots again, which was, I went to school for fashion design. And um, so it's sort of like, I decided to gather all of my experiences and create this collection. Wow, wow. So did you go to school in New York then? Um, I did take some classes at FIT, but I ended up getting my degree out in Los Angeles at um, this school is now called Beverly Hills Design Institute. It was something else at the time, Um, but it was a really small school and it was couture focused. So the two people that ran it were um, from Paris and they wanted to bring that kind of uh, teaching style to the U.S. So it was a very like unique education experience yeah yeah I bet well I can totally see the influence of kind of the embroidery and the couture um in in your collection now so yeah yeah Um, I like to do the um I like the handwork being able to mix in with uh as as a design element I think it's really makes things really special Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so how did the vintage piece come into play then so I actually had uh, the idea to start this line come to me um, when I was working for uh, a now closed vintage store. They were called Parsimonia um, based here in St. Louis. And I managed the shop for a few years. And my specialty when I was there was restoring the vintage pieces. Um, so I was constantly like looking inside of these, you know, amazing, intricate gorgeous garments and uh just constantly in awe of them and and just kind of thinking to myself like why doesn't this exist anymore why don't we make these anymore I've now kind of learned why uh, (laughs) on a broader scale but um 
I just really fell in love with them. It's in particular the 30s and 40s pieces that would come in just because the prints were so just so specific and like the colors, there's just no holding back in, mm-hmm. when it came to just really like expressing the colors of each garment and each print in the way it's made. Um, so essentially while I was there, I, I was kind of starting to like mosey out of doing the embroidery thing, which I was doing kind of freelance, um, because it's so time consuming and it's just very hard to like keep up with. Um, Mm -hmm. and it kind of came to me because I got a phone call, um, while I was at the store from this company called, uh, Makers Valley. And I think they're based in Italy and they basically Mm -hmm. were, were, they were here for, I, I don't know, a few years and they were kind of reaching out to see local stores if they wanted to have anything produced overseas in Italy. Um, and essentially it just got my, my gears churning. And I was like, Hey, you know, that's maybe something I would be interested in trying. Cause I have all these ideas and designs that I've just kind of been sketching out like while, while I'm here at work and with downtime. And I was like, maybe I can actually make these happen. So that's sort of how it, uh, that was my catapult into trying this out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't end up using them, but it was sort of just a way that I got to thinking about it. Yeah. So it seems like you, you were kind of more immersed in the art side of things and mm-hmm. in your jobs in the industry and didn't, didn't until then think of like doing your own brand. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. That's not- when you had that thought, did it seem like, yes, that's exactly what I what you know, what I've maybe always been working towards, or was it like, I really want to make these, but also like going into business seems scary. Cause I, I think <laughs> there's, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of, um, entrepreneurs that it, it, it's a big decision to like go from, you know, working in a career in fashion or even a career in mm-hmm. something else. And then to decide to, try your own thing and and do your own business can, can be a big decision. Absolutely. Um, you know, I I feel like like I'm a very intuitive person and whenever something comes to me at the time, it's always like an aha moment. And I'm like, that's it. And, Mm -hmm. and there's like no questions asked. So it's like this initial, yes, I'm going to do this. None of the other aspects of like, how is it going to work? It doesn't, that doesn't come until I start. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of just this like deep knowing that, um, there's a reason. And I, so I, I kind of push through that. And then when I get to the details, I worry about it later, which can be (laughs) at times, uh, um, you know, maybe not the best practice, but, um, but yeah, I just think that we wouldn't really do anything if we didn't just kind of like pay attention to those aha moments and realize that they are coming from something. Um, Mm -hmm. so essentially I was like, we'll figure it out when we get there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. I think if, if we really realized everything that like we would have to figure out or, you know, Mm -hmm. Google or, you know, uh, like deal with as a business owner, if we knew all of that up front, it's, we probably wouldn't like jump in and do it. So it does take a little bit of this, like, just go for it and figure it out as you go and not overwhelm yourself with all the details. Right. And I'm realizing, you know, even now it's like, if, even if I had tried to do that and tried to make a business plan and all of that, like it it always changes. And of course Mm -hmm. this all happened right before the pandemic, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. I had, it was about five or six months. Um, And so anything that I would have tried to plan out or, you know, like, flesh out would probably not have worked out that way and mm-hmm. it's still that way and I, I hear that from so many other people who um run small businesses it's kind of just like a your plans are very acute but mm-hmm. <laughs> um but there are certain fundamental things that are important of course mm-hmm. so yes <laughs> that's, that's how it all went down yeah cool I actually didn't know kind of what prompted the start of your brand so that's really really fun to hear 
Um, so I'm curious, like, I feel like you have a very defined aesthetic, like if I'm like scrolling Instagram or like looking mm-hmm. at something, I can tell it's you even without like seeing that it was like okay. your account. Um, is that something that you like were very conscious about when you started the brand and like thought through or did it kind of spring from who you are or was it something that kind of evolved over time and took took some time to develop that kind of voice and aesthetic for the brand? So um, in a lot of ways, it was very purposeful, um, but so much of it is really just who I am and my my aesthetic that I just, it's all very true to me. Um, and I'm, the only thing that changes occasionally really is like, sometimes I'll be like, I'm more into green this week. <laughs> um, but uh, in general, it's, it's um, I do curate very, very particularly. Um, and sometimes maybe it's to a fault. I, I was having this conversation the other day about how sometimes I feel like I put myself in a box that I've created that sometimes I feel like I can't get out of because mm. I'm like, but there is this other side of me and I, I want to share it, but I don't know how. Um, and uh, that actually segues into something else that I have going on, if you don't mind me speaking about it. Yeah. Um, so I have, um, I'm showing a Kansas City Fashion Week. Um, mm-hmm. It's my specific day is April 13th. Um, and I have, I decided to do this because I, I, it's just been kind of one of my like benchmarks as to always, I've always wanted to show something on a runway and have a runway collection. Um, I started working on it last November and gosh, it has been (laughs) a whole journey. Um, but, uh, I really wanted to use that, um, idea of what I was just saying, how, like, there's a whole other side of me that I feel like I haven't really shared, um, within my collection. So essentially this line I'm really excited about because it's actually, uh, kind of like the marriage of two different parts of me coming into one story. Um, and I think it's going to really blow people away and I'm not putting that lightly. It's, it's, um, it's, it will hearken to things that I have made before, but it's going to be a whole other um, magical animal that I cannot <laughs> wait to show. Um, yeah, so that was, kind of, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my solution as I was like, let's pull out these other things and like really just like create this new concept because I mean, we are in a position right now where everything is going new, everything is changing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, I, I just wanted to have that time to really like show what I have been able to um, create internally and, and put it externally during this time. So yeah, I love that. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of baby doll references. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so like, where do you find inspiration for your collections? either this one specifically or in general? Sure. Um, So this specific collection, um, it was kind of inspired by, it was like a dream or like a vision I had, you know, those super early morning moments where you're kind of like, am I dreaming or am I thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, I had this actual moment um, and it was, I I was walking through these woods and it must've been in New England. I used to live in New England. I lived in Salem, Massachusetts for four years. And I, a lot of stuff that I design is actually influenced from having lived there. Um, Very like witchy and kind of like mystical. Um, But I had this vision that I was walking through the woods and there was this like gorgeous um, little like colonial house, but it was all like in, kind of in tatters and like falling apart and it was clearly abandoned. Um, And so I decided to walk inside and um, I looked around and it was just like wallpaper, like stripped everywhere. And there's just a few like broken pieces of furniture. And then I opened this, I find this like little um, seam in a wall and I realized that it's actually a doorway. So I open it and inside there's this doll and um, and I pick her up and, and she basically tells me like, let me out into the world. I need to bring beauty back. (laughs) Mm. And I woke up from it and I was like, what an interesting concept. 
Um, so essentially that's been like the story is that I'm kind of, um, I've always wanted to bring this kind of like um, unapologetic femininity back into like fashion, but mm -hmm. in a way that's powerful in a way that's kind of like, let's bring um, kind of like the magic and fun back into getting dressed, but with like, with an empowered feeling. And so essentially that story is kind of me like bringing that doll back into the world and letting her just like do her magic. Um, so yeah, long story short, I'm inspired by sometimes dreams. That is one of them. Um, otherwise I, as I've told you before, I love collecting vintage and that includes also antiques. I love going antiquing. I love visiting. Um, so whenever my husband and I go to another like city or town, we always try to find like the historical buildings that we can tour. Um, so that's mm -hmm. kind of, I, I just love, I love old things, but I love bringing them into the now in a way that is relatable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and eliminating kind of, there's like the romantic notion of what the past was that we all know wasn't real, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's sort of like, like kind of taking back that romantic idea and like making it a reality, but something that is tangible for, for our modern life. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that is honestly where I get all, most of my inspiration is I just love old things. They're made better. They're more beautiful to me. Um, and yeah, just adding some of that element into, you know, what we do now and how we dress is, I think, uh, what really like fuels my, my creative spirit. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so cool. Um, so with all this kind of like historical inspiration from old things and you mentioned the 1930s and forties, um, how do you balance the or like walk the line between historical inspiration and costume because I feel like your pieces are definitely everyday clothing or right. um and not costume but then sometimes it's hard to to kind of get that distinctive inspiration from something historical without it turning costume sure Have you, uh, like thought about that or run into that as you're making these pieces absolutely um so I think for me, it's all about styling um, because I, I always used to say this to people when they would come into the vintage stores, they'd be like, oh, I love vintage, but I don't want to look like I just came out of another decade. Like I want to wear mm -hmm. something that I, I could wear now and like go to the office and go out and get drinks and not feel like I look like I was dropped out of a, from a time machine. And what I always said to them is that the cool thing about these pieces is that they can be mixed with things that you would wear now. I mean, you can wear a, a top that's like really frilly and lacy from the thirties with a pair of jeans or, um, or you could wear it with something like edgy, like a pair of docks. Like, I think honestly, it's, it's about like, there should be no reason not to wear something that you find beautiful because there's a way to always like either dress it down or style it in a way that, um, doesn't make you look like you're wearing a costume. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's difficult for a lot of people, but um, once you kind of get the hang of that or even start small, just like I always tell people, just start by like finding a pair of jeans that you really like and pairing it with like one of my little feed sack blouses. And like, you don't look dated at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. You look really fresh. Like it, it makes it look fresh. And um, I think it's really just about that. Like being able to balance your own like wardrobe with it. Mm -hmm. Is that how you approach your own style? Because every time I see you like super stylish, like the whole look <laughs> outfit <laughs> put together. Um, Aww, and yeah, with your brand being so much uh, inspired by who you are as well. Like is, is that how you approach like the styling of your own wardrobe too? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much if I'm not wearing something I made, it's I'm wearing vintage. I don't buy anything new. And a lot of it is, of course, the sustainability act, um, aspect of everything. And that is also what I tell my customers too, is that, um, I mean, when you buy my stuff, you're investing in something that I, I make 
in such a way that I hope will last lifetimes even. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's something that, um, yeah, that y- it's about just kind of like finding your own style with it. And um, yeah, and I, it's, I'm sorry, I need to remember the question exactly. Um, oh, is, is it, is that also how you approach styling your own wardrobe? Yes, yes, it is. So long story short, yes, in every way, yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so turning a little bit to more the business side of Potion 23, sure. um, another thing that I think comes up a lot for creative designers that are running a business is kind of the balance between like creating what we find beautiful um, and what we like as a designer and act uh-huh. and then designing pieces that will sell that like actually fit business wise not only with our creative vision. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? And like, what has your experience been being, I guess I feel like you're very conceptual and, and you have kind of the vision as a designer, but then also running a, running a brand is mm-hmm. a whole nother piece of it too that takes a lot of work and energy. Of course, so. yeah. Um, so a lot of it is, um, it's not easy at all. Um, I'm sure everybody who's been on here has said that it's, um, Mm -hmm. I I tell people, I'm like, do not do this unless this is 100%, unless you need to live, breathe and exist it. Cause it has to be everything that you like, it has to be your core. Um, because if you don't have that, you're going to get so, so discouraged constantly (laughs) because there's a lot of, a lot of battles that you have to fight. And especially when it comes to the business end, it is very challenging. Um, mostly for me, what I have uh, realized is that with the clothes, I mean, it's they're the more expensive pieces. They're more like custom and, and not as many people can afford them. For me, I realized that like I had to develop and there's a lot, if you've looked in my collection, a lot of like very, very like vast styles of accessories. Um, I found that my accessories are kind of what keep me afloat because Mm -hmm. uh, I find in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm a product designer in general. Like I just love like designing something, a concept and like, and then having it be like wearable and new and interesting. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an endless, just an endless pool of ideas. So um, really uh, my best sellers have been, believe it or not, my witch hats. Mm-hmm. they're so uh, they're so unique for anyone who's listening who hasn't uh who isn't at their computer to like look up potion 23 uh her witch hats is like her own take on kind of like a bucket hat or a sun hat but with like a pointy brim like a witch hat so it's like super super yeah. cool you should check yeah. them out they are they're really fun um the the larger ones are actually reversible so you can change the style and you can tie them up like the brim up almost like blossom style where you could let it down <laughs> they're great mm-hmm. um so yeah those are those really are kind of my bread and butter especially during like you know halloween spooky season um and then uh, a lot of like people love like my bows and thing. I I'm the bow girl. Like I, I hair <laughs> bows of all colors and all sizes and shapes. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, as you know, like big, bigger lines, like if you think about like Gucci or whatever, like they're making their sales on like accessories and uh, perfume and things mm-hmm. like that. So the reality is like, you can make beautiful clothes all day long, but you have to make something like I, a a product that is accessible enough that enough people will buy it. And that's really what keeps you going. So I do spend a lot of time on that and I wish I could spend a lot more time on clothes, but uh, that is the reality I have come to experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's true for a lot of designers where there's kind of like the statement, like really wow pieces that bring people in, Mm -hmm. um, but then kind of more the bread and butter, like maybe, you know, more affordably priced or more toned down style wise um you know like the black t-shirt is probably like Mm -hmm. the best selling item from everybody but you know it's not that interesting but it like makes the money to be able to do like the more the fun stuff sure and I do have like I I do battle with it a lot because I 
I'm so stubborn sometimes about my, uh, my vision that I, it's, it took me a long time to even introduce black into my collection because I had, I particularly like throughout all of my adolescence, I was, I only wore black. So I, I kind of did the rubber band thing, whereas an adult, I like really mostly wear color. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not doing black. I'm not giving in. And then I started to realize that black just makes a really good like accent. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of like a gradual thing and realizing like, yes, I do have to cater to certain things that people want to buy. And I know that my customer, you know, is generally like gets me and they get what I'm trying to create. They don't come to me looking for basics and things, but Um, but I find a way to make something that would be considered quote unquote basic into kind of my aesthetic, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that like looking at your pieces. Yeah. Um, so I know you've experimented with several ways of making your clothing and accessories. Like I know you had a seamstress for a while and then Mm -hmm. you sew stuff yourself, Um, what have you found like really works best for your brand and why? Um, so it's still been, it's still challenging. Um, I, I still try to make everything in house and I have had people help me and, um, I was working regularly with a, a stitcher, um, but actually recently I've had to kind of slow that down because I've been working pretty much exclusively on my runway collection. Um, so business has been a little bit on hold, which has been kind of stressful. <laughs> um, but for the most part, when I'm trying to like get stock out there and I need to like have like a lot of inventory, yes, I definitely call people in. Um, I would love to be able to do have regular employment for people. I mean, ideally, I would love to eventually ha- like train a whole, you know, a whole group of people to just kind of like produce here in St. Louis and work alongside me and mm-hmm. help train people. I mean, I think that is kind of the, the goal for a lot of people, but it's, it takes time. Um, and yeah. And I just, I, I want to see St. Louis have more, you know, more people with that skill and be able to offer that. Um, so that is kind of on my agenda for what's next is um, to try and, create some kind of like, uh, like way to like work and learn and, uh, learn the skill set and get people, um, those skills that they need. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of St. Louis like businesses and I know the collective thread. Um, I had Mm -hmm. Terry on a previous episode talking about like, I know like they do a lot of training for seamstresses as well. And Mm -hmm. yeah, with the kind of resurgence, resurgence of the garment district here, there's more need for those skills, you know, for for people who know how to sew and, you know, embroider or, you know, whatever else here. Yeah, it's the biggest challenge, like doing that. I, I feel like anywhere, I don't think it's just St. Louis. There's when mm-hmm. people find somebody who's good at sewing, they they keep very quiet about it. And it's sort of like this mm-hmm. very tight lipped <laughs> thing because there's just not, a, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of people left that are, and you know, a lot of older women who have these skills, um, it's hard to like reach out to them or find them and know, and a lot of them are retired. So it's like, but I'm like, come on, ladies, I need you to come out and teach people because these we don't want these crafts to die. Like we mm-hmm. need them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm I, I feel like I'm seeing good things in that uh regard though happening. So cool. Yeah, same. I think there's a lot of headway being made um in in that area, but there's still there it's always a need. I feel like at any given time there's a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, brands that are like, hey, do you know any good seamstress like sewers? And I'm like, yeah. I wish I knew more because they're not <laughs> enough to go around. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So you obviously sew. Was that something that like um, in in your school program was was the actual construction and the the sewing and the you know hand work something that was heavily taught, or was it more of a design program? So I majored in it this is the interesting thing about, um, the French, uh, curriculum is they actually separate, um, 
design from pattern making, like as far as degrees go, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is interesting um, because I do feel like they are two honestly very different animals in a lot of ways. And for me, I decided to focus on the design, but of course we had to learn everything because you need to know, understand everything across the board. Um, but it was actually very hands-on because it was couture and I mean there's a lot of draping and a lot of um like hand embellishment and working with like um fabric manipulation which I loved oh that was my favorite part um so yeah it, it was very focused on um really just the old style of craft that uh which is what attracted me to that school mm-hmm. um I think it didn't necessarily translate in the way in like the workforce that was kind of, it was helpful in the long run in some ways. Um, They did provide classes like there was, there were CAD classes and things like that, but I didn't delve super deeply into those. I almost wish I had, Um, Mm. but it's one of those things I know that you can always learn and whenever, Um, but yeah, so it was, it was mostly a focus on design and, um, and that has been a challenge for me, which is why I've worked with you in the past because um, mm-hmm. you take care of that uh, more mathematical part of the equation that I have a difficult time with, like the patterns and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm grading. Yeah, we've worked yeah. together on that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm very much like the math side of things. And then like mm-hmm. the conceptual design part, I'm like, that just seems too abstract. I don't know when it's done. <laughs> like that's too much pressure, but like, right. like the math of grading and sizing and like getting a pattern to fit, like that's what I love. So like you, I can see, like, I agree they're, they're like different skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people gravitate towards one side or the other of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everybody, you know, we're, we're all capable of learning both to a degree, but mm-hmm. um, I, 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 do you know, Dorothy Jones, who uh, she used to own bespoke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she and I were talking about it and she said that she's like, there's no designer I've ever worked with that could really truly figure out like how to make a solid pattern. She always had to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I was like, I thought that was interesting. It made me feel not so alone, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. Cause it is a different skill. And in, in, you know, if you're not practicing it or it's not like where your interest lies, or even if like numbers and math is not, you know, was never your favorite in school, Mm -hmm. then yeah, it can, it, it's kind of, it's a very different way of like working and thinking and, and seeing the project. Yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we need both in the industry. So I'm glad designers have the vision. So I'm happy to help them figure out how to make it. Yeah. No, it's, there's, there's a lot of elements. And I think that's something that not not a lot of people understand is that it takes so many hands to mm-hmm. make just one garment in in so many ways and there's a lot of things that we don't even know like the fabric that we use like who knows how many hands actually even like picked the cotton or even where it came from which is sometimes horrifying to think about considering mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why i honestly try really hard not to buy or use too many like if ever new fabrics um it's just, that's also part of my ethos is to keep things sustainable in a way that like use what's already there um and yeah i i definitely think of myself as part of that movement as well mm-hmm. um yeah so you're you you're uh using textiles that are um are they from other garments or just like leftover in the fabric form from different places and like how are you finding the materials because I know I know that can be a challenge too it's not just like you're ordering (laughs) something online and can get an unlimited amount of it so I you know one of the things that I feel like makes my work special but is also I know very frustrating at times for some of my customers is that I do I collect my fabric from wherever I can find it secondhand being like um, thrift stores to antique malls. 
Um, sometimes I go to city sewing room cause they have a uh, program mm-hmm. with the fabric swap and everything. And, um, I, I just find that it's everywhere. Um, if you really like to dig for it, which I'm a digger, I love finding things like that's why I love like antiquing and things like mm-hmm. that. So I, and I Same. always come across amazing things. Um, so I have a ton of fabric, but it's unfortunately like I'll get enough to make like one garment sometimes at the most, but I think that's what makes it special. And that's what I, I like about it. Um, there are ways to buy dead stock, of course. And I have done that in the past. Um, the problem is always like, you know, minimums and things like that can be challenging. Mm-hmm. And I've, I found that like, whenever I would order some like yardage of a fabric or something that I thought was really great. Um, I ended up only using a tiny part of it. And, and then mm-hmm. it kind of just that design sort of fell to the wayside. So I, I started slowing down on buying like a lot of yardage of anything. Um, I just feel like people respond more when it's like, you will never see this fabric on something again. It's like, mm-hmm. act now or, <laughs> or you won't yeah. get this item. It's like one of a kind. So you can make the same silhouette in mm-hmm. yeah. multiple vintage pieces. And so like, you, exactly. c- you can maybe find the blouse again, but never in that print again. Yes. Yeah, that, I think that does make it special too. Although, you know, more more complicated on your end to find all those. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it does give it that like flavor and kind of incentive. You know, if, if this speaks to you, snatch it up before it's gone. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that was kind of our, uh, that was like the saying when I worked at a vintage store, it was like, nothing haunts you more than the vintage that you didn't buy. Mm-hmm, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you leave and you're still thinking about it and you're like, dang it, I should have gotten that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's gone for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so I know you do a lot of like pop-up markets and um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's correct, right? I um, have, yes. It's been slow, obviously, through the winter, but mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping to do some more coming up. Yeah, I'm curious, like how that has affected your business and even just the difference between because you also have a website where you sell online. Mm-hmm. So um, like how is the experience kind of selling in person and being able to talk to customers versus online with social media or website? So it's so much better. Um, I. <laughs> I'm old school in the way that I just wish that I could just have a storefront and I could just get people in there to see and touch and feel and actually try on my stuff because that is how my things sell. That's how my work sells. Um, Mm -hmm. I do sell through my site. Um, but when I do markets, I, I would say like 75% of my business comes from that because people can see you know, I, and I'm the same, I I think about the way I shop too. And it's different because like understanding like my body and like knowing my measurements and stuff, I have an easier time, like buying vintage and things online, but I'm very picky about it because I'm like, well, what if it's not right? And, um, and I understand that that's a challenge for people. So I, my goal is to definitely do a way more in person and, it is challenging because it does require a lot of energy and time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is honestly like the way things sell, at least for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of it too, is because my garments are because of the way I, I sew them and design them. They are, they're not like modern day clothing where it's like, there's a lot of elastic. There's a lot of stretch it's knits and things like that. It's, these are fitted things. And one of the things that I always make sure I tell everybody who, when they order something is I'm like, so make sure that you understand that like the sizing is, is what you see is what you're going to get. There's no stretch. There's no give. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, make friends with your local tailor, because if you want to wear things that fit you really well and beautifully and have like that vintage um, look to them, like you're going to want to know somebody who's going to help you like get it there that's not necessarily mm-hmm. my job as a designer my job is to make the piece that you can then use and um essentially have that like tailored and fitted to you if it doesn't already magically 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people need, you know, are starting to get a little more understanding of. And I, I hope that people start to get more comfortable with the idea that like really investing in a piece and getting it like tailored to fit you is so, so special in a way that like you will not, you will wear that for life. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I do push a lot of that when I'm selling and I, I'm, and when I do made to order, people are a lot more comfortable as well um, because they know what they're going to get. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's mostly about just understanding that. <laughs> yeah. And like what you said about like part of the, getting that like really polished vintage look is the tailoring, you know, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. It's like, clothes used to be more handmade for an individual mm-hmm. and the fit was impeccable and and it's hard to just get that off the rack in because body shapes are and sizes right. are so different from person to person so yeah understanding what you're like understanding your body and what you know you like on your body and then knowing that it's okay to get it tailored and that that's that's normal, you know, for an investment yeah. piece. And it's really not like, it you know, out. depending on what you're having done, it's not even going to run you that much sometimes. Like if it's just mm-hmm. even like shortening a hem or, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like it's, it can be like 10 to 15 bucks, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, depending on what you need. So it it's worth it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't think, um, like, I think some, it can be tempting for brands sometimes to be like, oh, people will get it tailored and using that as an excuse to not really develop good fit. But I know you're not like that. Like your pieces (laughs) and how you make them are really well cut and um, well designed and flattering. It's just kind of going that extra mile to fit, you know, somebody's individual body that you're talking about there. Yeah, definitely. And speaking to that I do have this one blouse that I I consider my magic blouse you I think you know which one it is I Mm -hmm. I call it the rapture blouse like Mm -hmm. and anyone who's ever tried it on um like no matter their shape I swear it just it looks perfect it's like it's the best Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah because it's got kind of like a cinched in waistband but then it's Mm -hmm. got plenty of like yeah, gathers like a and nice ruching and draping at the chest so even if you're like bigger or smaller chested it fits just fine yes yeah, so definitely check that one out on my site <laughs> <laughs> cool um so at kansas city fashion week um do you plan like you have your runway collection is there going to be um kind of a pop-up or any sort of like market selling there or is it more the runway and then you know, to kind of talk to you afterwards if people are interested in pieces. So um, it's, I, I am actually part of a market that they are doing on um, Saturday, which I believe is the 17th. Um, it's going to be like an all day makers market. Um, that's when I'm, I'm going to be a part of, I think that they do have some designers vending like during the events. I found that when you do that kind of people like glaze over it because they're looking at the show and not really like mm-hmm. there to shop. Um, but yes, I will be there at a uh, union station in Kansas city from, I believe it's one to 5 PM um, with a table and a rack and I will be selling. Um, and uh, I may do some trips around to different stores there that I have been following for a while and kind of like give them a little nudge and be like, Hey, want to do some consignment stuff? <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. So have you done that before? I have. So I do sell through um, a May's Place, which is a local vintage store. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some items there, and I've done that also with uh, Assassin Vintage, which is they just recently opened up on Cherokee Street. So interestingly, a lot of vintage stores are wanting to carry my stuff, even though it's new. But it's because it's you know, it's very vintage looking. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of been interestingly where, uh, my niche is as far as uh, retail. That is a, that is a unique, a unique niche for a a fashion brand making new things to be selling in vintage stores. Like you're not competing with other current brands there Mm -hmm. because most brands are just looking at kind of traditional boutique selling new items. So 
Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's really cool. And I also feel like it makes sense too with the, our, my price points because I mean, some of like the higher end vintage, you're going to be paying like an upwards of 300 to $800. And, and it, mm-hmm. so I don't feel like I'm putting my stuff in there and it doesn't fit in in that mm-hmm. way. Um, so yeah, I think you're probably reaching the right customer who's interested in, in that aesthetic and the look. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I think it's a, a cool way to get this stuff out there. Yeah. How did you think of that? Or how did that come up? Cause I feel like that's kind of a little bit outside the box from what a lot of brands um, might be right. looking at for boutiques and stuff. You know, I think it just kind of started with talking to Katie who owns May's place. Um, I, they do a lot of unconventional things. They've, they've experimented with like a lot of different selling techniques and I, and are really successful for it. Um, and they have like their night market and things like that. And because mm-hmm. they work so much locally and they want to like represent local um, designers and vendors, uh, I think it was sort of just like, well, your stuff kind of fits in with our aesthetic and um, let's see how it goes. And um, yeah, so it was kind of, it was them that kind of gave me the idea that, yeah, maybe this is a cool way to do this. And and so far other people I've reached out to are really into it also, so. Nice. Yeah, good old fashioned making connections in your city and just chatting oh, with gosh, other business yeah. owners. Yeah. It is important, I tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hard for someone who's generally kind of an introvert like mm-hmm. me. I, yeah. I, I have my moments. <laughs> Same here. I'm very introverted. And so, like, getting me out in a crowd is a rare sight, especially the last couple of years. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's almost been like a dream in that way for us Mm -hmm. but it's also been it's it can also be really challenging for sure yeah yeah. so I'm curious uh what has been the biggest challenge so far in running potion 23 gosh that is a hard one and I tried to think about this ahead of time (laughs) um I think the biggest challenge for me and for what I'm doing is finding my audience that has been the mm. hardest thing and and I knew this going into it because I knew that what I what I create is is so unique and so specific that um finding that niche was not going to be easy um and it is a constant battle especially with social media and how it is and the way that algorithms are, are and all that boring stuff um I think that honestly, just finding your customer is one of the most, because you can make anything till the end of the day, make magic, make whatever, put yourself out there. But if you don't have the ability to attract the right people, then you don't really have a business yet. And Mm -hmm. and I think that that really is just like a constant kind of uphill battle and can be very, very exhausting. (laughs) And you think you're doing everything right. And then you're like, well, where, why aren't they coming? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there anything, any um, tips or things that you've found success in, in that? Um, Honestly, I think a lot of it is a, like what I was saying, most of my sales are when I'm in person, people want to see you. They want to hear your story. They want to experience it it's hard Mm -hmm. to really show that just on a little screen um and finding those events and finding those places where people who have the same aesthetic or like interests go like where are they hanging out um what kind of music do they like and really just kind of getting a read on who your your ideal customer is and kind of like like going to them and Mm -hmm. you know as much as like you want to believe in the whole concept of like, if you build it, they will come. It's not that way anymore. And it's it's just, it's so much more like you have to go find them. And then once they see you, then the word spreads and then it becomes, then it's amazing what can happen. And it's amazing how just even just gifting, I've gifted a few items to people who I consider, I wouldn't consider influencers in the way that like, you know, have like millions of followers, but like people who are influencers to me style wise Mm -hmm. and just who I've personally been following and love their aesthetic for a long time. I'll just send them something. And then 
the orders come flowing in. It's, it's honestly really so important that you get your pieces on somebody that you feel like represents your style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, those are great tips. And I totally agree with you of like, know who like get inside your customer's head and know what they care about and what they like and where they're hanging out um yeah it's so important from selling standpoint marketing standpoint and even from like a fit and design standpoint I think so yeah definitely so cool um so on the flip side what are you most proud of or excited about oh gosh I I am so it I am just like bursting at the seams like wanting to show this collection I've been working on because (laughs) it is going to I think maybe I think it's going to blow people away um I'm very proud of it I've worked so long on it and yeah I I can't wait to show everybody when I I'm going to try and have somebody shoot an Instagram live while my show is happening um I'm going to do the best I can to get that to everybody out there um, because this show is going to be like really important I think for just really showing people what I'm capable of doing more than just making clothes like I I make art and that's what I'm excited to show (laughs) cool yeah I can I can hear the excitement Um, and that's also I was going to ask if people aren't um, near Kansas City how can they view it but Instagram live I'll Um, yes I am going to I I have a plan to try and make that happen um uh hopefully my sister can make that happen I'm like (laughs) she's kind of like my my assistant sometimes so um but yeah so I I will try and make it as accessible as possible (laughs) nice um so one question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design what would it be Have fun fashion's not that serious mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to just you know just show what your mood is wear wear your mood on your sleeve and then people kind of like be drawn to you or you can be left alone it's great <laughs> nice it's a great way to communicate Mm -hmm. yeah that's so true yeah thank you so much this was really fun yeah thank you it's been a great conversation and I even learned more about you that I didn't know um where can people find out more about you and potion 23 online so you can visit my website which is just potion23.com and my Instagram, I'm very regular on there, is at Potion23Design. And I also have a TikTok as well that I'm trying to get up to speed, which is also at Potion23Design. I will include links to all those in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining me today, Victoria. Thank you so much, Allison. It was a pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.